So the question that we're looking at today together with a little bit of education, a little bit of scripture, we're saying, what makes communities effective? Hello and welcome again to another episode in our teaching series that we've titled A Band of Disciples, A Band of Disciples. And you are familiar by now with the goal of this series, and that is to help you become a better discipler. That someone that walks alongside uh, people that want to know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and multiply disciples for the sake of Jesus. And we believe that God has already sparked your interest and He's already dedicated you on fire your heart for that mission, uh, for that movement that Jesus established on planet Earth. And in this whole series, we've looked at in the first mini-series, if you like, we looked at about 10 sessions, 10 episodes uh, that address the concept of the discipling calling, that you are called to be a disciple. What does that mean? And then we're in the uh, beginning of our uh, second mini-series in this, which we call the discipling community. And the whole concept of this is we're trying to say, uh, given that uh, Christianity is raising uh, uh, Christians that live like Jesus, just like, uh, you know, musicians uh, live a particular way of life with a particular goal in mind, with a particular image of themselves. We want to raise people that see themselves uh, like Jesus in the world, as the scripture says. And that becomes the desire that consumes them, that motivates them to do specific activities in life and to learn specific things to enable them to do this better and better. And your role as a discipler is like the band leader or like the band coordinator who helps band members become the best possible musicians, in your case, the best possible Jesus-like disciples, and that we do this in the context of the band. That means in community. And in the last couple of sessions, we looked at Jesus' approach to discipling through communities. And then last, uh, last episode, we looked together at some educational concepts that help us to know why community is so profoundly important for any learning, development, and transformational uh, process. And today we're going to continue with the same rhythm, but we're going to look at how we can make those uh, bands, those environments, those communities uh, effective. So the question that we're looking at today together with a little bit of education, a little bit of scripture, we're saying what makes communities effective? What makes communities effective? Because it's one thing to say, we want to bring people into communities. We want to bring people to be disciples in groups. You know, the, the, the concept of a small group movement has been so big in the West and uh, indeed throughout the world. Uh, and we have been uh, led to believe that as long as you bring people in smaller groups, bang, something is going to happen. 
uh, automatically they're going to be transformed. So we've got all types of groups that if you have been in church for a while, undoubtedly you are aware of some of those uh, uh, conceptualization of small groups. Some groups are friendship groups. You know, we're, we're, we're in a church, we say, uh, you know what? We want you just to be together. Gather once a week or once a fortnight. Have dinner together. Uh, pray for one another. Have some, uh, you know, helpful, supportive conversations. Care for each other and in some cases, uh, you know, uh, I've been told in some churches that the leaders were prevented from uh, sharing anything profound in the scripture because they just want it to be, uh, you know, very, very um, friendly oriented. You know, we don't want to get uh, too much into the scripture. We just want to keep people together. And we we'll say that's going to transform people organically, I guess. Then there is the activity-oriented groups. So they are activists. You know, we're together in this group because we're going to support our neighborhood or we're going to uh, focus on a particular, um, you know, cause that we're going to, uh, you know, pursue with every fiber of our being or we're going to engage with a particular ministry activity in the church or we're going to launch out, whatever it might be. But our number one focus is the activity and whatever happens as a result result of, of that apparently is going to transform us. Other environments I have seen uh, personally are theologically uh, deep uh, environments where they just want to discuss, you know, the difficult things of the scripture and uh, and the grammar and uh, and the context and, and, you know, compare this with this and you walk out of those environments very well informed. But the question remains, is that transforming me? So, uh, intuitively, you and I know uh, that not all groups are conducive for learning. You know that in real life. You know that in sporting environments. You know that in schooling environments. You know that in your, um, you know, church environment. If you go to, uh, you know, if you're connected to a particular church that uses small group environments, we all know that just because you bring people in groups, it doesn't mean it's effective. I first, uh, you know, encountered uh, that idea with my eldest son, who's now uh, over 20 years of age, when he was still young in primary school, uh, somehow it occurred to him he wants to uh, learn the guitar. Well, both my wife Susie and I, we would absolutely destroy any musical talent that he may have. We've got no idea. Maybe I'm not speaking on behalf of my wife, but I have no idea how to help him. So uh, as proud parents, we, we ran to the shop. Somehow we got him a small guitar that worked for his left hand. And it was a, a blue, uh, metallic blue guitar. And we enlisted him with a tutor who would look after two or three kids um, and, and would train them uh, to learn how to play the guitar. Well, one of the co-students in that uh, group who was uh, with uh, our son, he was, he was a, a pretty full-on uh, type of kid. He, he, you know, I don't know if he just enjoyed the attention or if he was just uh, you know, struggling with, with, with something. But he would just create havoc throughout every session. And, uh, and the tutor would, would give some exercises. But at the end of the day, my son would have to try to learn it by himself because all the attention 
attention was given to one of the other students who was uh, extremely demanding on the time of the tutor. And um, after several months and uh, a few dollars spent on that endeavor, uh, our son said, I, I, I'm not willing to go there again. So chuck that guitar in the garage, I guess. And he, he never touched a, a, a guitar again in his primary or secondary school years. That was a more of a traumatic experience, not a helpful experience. But you know what? As funny as that sounds, we all have been in groups or uh, communities, if you like, where we didn't grow and develop. In some cases, it created frustrations uh, for us. So what actually makes groups effective or ineffective? I read a, a, a doctorate, a PhD uh, research uh, by uh, um, a, a doctoral student in California who's investigated church-based small groups. Uh, members in, in, in those groups were uh, interviewed and, uh, and, and, and a discovery was made that there are some hindrances to transformative learning that were happening in small groups in that particular uh, uh, church environment. And, and um, it listed four different categories that uh, uh, these are the factors that make learning, uh, hinders learning and hinders transformation. That there is more lecturing and less interactive learning that there wasn't uh, being, uh, people weren't being vulnerable and transparent in their environment, that the, the leader was only asking knowledge questions and covering too much material, and the, the, the not challenging participants to apply what they learned. So it was more like, let's sit together, have this deep discussion, let's ask all these knowledge, knowledge questions, but hey, don't allow me to ask you anything personal, don't allow me to, to, to check what's on the inside, Side, let's just enjoy this superficial environment. And the researcher found that they were factors that were hindering uh, transformative learning. So uh, I will suggest you today uh, utilizing a concept called the community of practice. And obviously, we, uh, you know, uh, reconceiving some things in, in that approach. But I'm going to use an educational uh, concept called community of practice to highlight to you some elements that need to be present in a community in order to assist with the uh, members' learning and transformation. And this particular concept. It's a new uh, phrase. You're probably familiar with it uh, in, in a secular world, in a business or, or education, where uh, uh, anthropologists Lav and Wenger coined the term community of practice when they were studying apprenticeships as a learning model. In fact, uh, the, the story goes that, that Lav uh, was doing um, some research almost for five years in, in Liberia, uh, in Africa, and she examined the, the progression and the learning of a group of tailors. I, I think from memory it was about 150 tailors uh, in this strip of, of, uh, of shops in, in that area, and she studied the learning and uh, their apprenticeship and their transformation. Uh, one of the uh, things that they came up with, that, that, that the apprentices weren't learning from the master tailor, they were learning from other apprentices who were a little bit more advanced than them. They didn't run every time they 
struggled with a particular uh, practical problem. They didn't run to the owner of the joint or the master tailor. They basically asked whoever around them that was a little bit more advanced. And that's where it came, the concept that learning takes place in community rather than, uh, you know, one-on-one or individual, uh, in individually uh, oriented type of learning. And this is uh, what's, uh, what, what, how they describe communities of practice. They say this, communities of practice are formed by people who engage in a process of collective learning in a shared domain of human endeavor, a tribe learning to survive. That's a learning community. A band of artists seeking uh, new forms of expression. A group of engineers working on similar problems. A clique of peoples defining their identity in the school. A network of surgeons exploring novel techniques. A gathering of first-time managers helping each other cope. Have you noticed the simplicity of the idea of community of practice? Whether it's a tribe or a band or a group of engineers or surgeons or a clique group of of students or managers, these are people who are gathering together around a particular purpose, a particular interest, a particular passion, and they're trying to learn from each other and experiment by participation as how to get better at doing this. So they define, uh, Wenger in particular uh, defines communities of practice as groups of people who share a concern or a passion for something they do and learn how to do it better as they interact regularly. So they have a concern, a common purpose, a common passion, a common concern. They want to do that better and they do this as they interact regularly with others. So in our Christian environment, if we want to, uh, if we are concerned about living like Jesus in the world, and we want to learn how to do that better, be better Jesus-like disciples, we do that as we engage with others, like-minded people, not just every Tom, Dick and Harry. No, it's people who share the same passion and concern. And we want to agree together. We want to do this better. And we're going to do this better by interacting with one another, helping each other, engaging with one another in a, in a regular So a community of practice in a nutshell is composed of common purpose, mutual engagement between members and shared practice. The things that they do that is similar to one another. And I want to explore each one of those because I propose to you that those three things are non-negotiables in any environment that is going to be conducive for learning and development. These are some of the factors that are helpful for us to keep in mind as we uh, launch those communities where we hope to see disciples learn and develop. The first one is, uh, you know, the common purpose 
I want to use the story of the early church. You know, spoke about Jesus. I want to now look at the early church from the book of Acts and see the community that they uh, created at the very, very start when the church was birthed in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came as Jesus promised and he fell on the disciples like tongues of fire and filled them. And Peter went and began to, uh, you know, on behalf of the, the apostles to preach the good news of Jesus and some of the Jewish people uh, you know were so cut to the heart the scripture tells us that they said what can we do to, to be like you to be followers of Jesus and it says in verse in chapter 2 verse 41 those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day they were baptized and they were added to the numbers of the Christians in one day. What an incredible thing. So what would you do with those new people? How do you help them? Now, Jesus said, preach the gospel. Peter did that on the day of Pentecost. He says, baptize them. The apostles did that the same day when people responded. What do we do now? Well, Jesus said, teach them every, to observe everything I taught you, including this multiplication process. So what, what do you reckon the disciples going to do now? What would the early church going to do to facilitate that teaching and multiplication process? How are they going to develop people? Should they sit with them one-on-one? -on -one? Well, 3,000 people doesn't really, it's not going to cut it with, you know, the, the, the low number of, uh, you know, the disciples that were present at the time. So they utilized the same concept that Jesus utilized with them. They established a community. You guessed it. They established a profound community. And here is what we hear about some of the characteristics that define that community. It says, they devoted themselves. That's verse 42. That's immediately after those be people being added. So verses 42 to 47, it says, uh, This new people and all the Christians, early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Okay, the first word that you get, they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostle is taking you back to Matthew 28 when Jesus said to them, okay, you preach, you baptize, and guess what? You got to teach them. This begins the process of developing the disciples and helping them multiply. So what did they do? You know, how did the disciples do that? Let's look at common purpose. Let's see how they created uh, that common purpose. And I want to give you just the definition uh, that the community of practice theorists say about the common purpose, which they say shared domain or interest, which is shared passion or concern. It's the same concept. I just phrase it as common purpose. Look at this. It says, a community of practice is not merely a club of friends, which sometimes we do with friendship groups, or a network of connections between people. It has an identity defined by a shared domain of interest. Membership, therefore, implies a commitment to that domain, to that purpose, to that concern, to that passion. There is a commitment to that passion and concern. 
and therefore a shared competence that distinguishes members from other people. In a very simple way, it's saying for a community of practice to be effective, the people need to be committed to a concern, to a passion, to a purpose. And here is exactly what we read about the disciples. They were committed to a purpose. They wanted to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until Jesus come because that was the great commission. That's why they were committed and devoted to the apostles' teaching. That was a hint that we're continuing the commission of Jesus. But you also see the hint in the second word where it says that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship. And to fellowship. The second word is fellowship. What does fellowship mean? The word fellowship actually means to share or participate or partnership. A fellowship wasn't, let's have a cup of coffee after church and dip it with some biscuits. It's about having a common life. They share the life of Jesus together. That means they are living to exhibit the life of Jesus like branches exhibit the life of the vine. They were committed to the purpose of living out what God has given them. They were committed to together embrace the idea that they are the body of Christ, that they are the revelation of God in the world, that they are living like Jesus in their communities, in their networks, in their families and wherever they went. They were committed to sharing together the life of Jesus. And they were committed to live that out in practicality. And that's the reason for the Great Commission. The idea of a disciple, as we often said, was not an idea of a student learning knowledge. It's someone that attaches themselves to a rabbi, to a teacher, likes that teacher, and lives like that teacher. It, discipleship always affiliated and, and connected to living a certain type of life. So the second concept that would make a community of practice effective is mutual engagement. So this is the definition of mutual engagement according to the th social learning theorists. They say in pursuing their interest in their domain, that's in the area of their concern, Members of the group engage in joint activities and discussions, help each other and share information. They build, they build relationships that enable them to learn from each other. They care about their standing with each other. Can you see the relational tone of that? Yes, they join in activities and in discussions and they help each other and they share information. But the thing is about building relationship. They care about how I'm connected with the other person. That is that connection. And, and we see that happen exactly in the early church in, in Acts chapter 2. It says that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Can you hear the beautiful sound, the symphony of love, care, and connection? They didn't say, I'm going to meet you at the temple, bro. And, uh, and, and after, you know, we could um, each go to their own one. 
or after we might just go have a coffee together and just feel like we're connected. Nah, man. And I know that they were hospitable, uh, you, you know, communities back then, but it's no different to what we can become as we embrace people in our homes, as we connect with people beyond the formalities, as we build relationships that are sincere, sincere relationships that are connected. We care about those people and what they mean to us, not just interact with them in formalities of learning. But And not just, a, by the way, it's not just a token meal every six months so that we can feel like we're family, but it's a reality of being together. And then the third aspect that I believe is critical for a community of practice and a community of disciples to be effective is the shared practice. And this is the definition that the theorists give us. It says, a community of practice is not merely a community of interest. People who like certain kinds of movies, for instance. No. Members of a community of practice are practitioners. They develop a shared repertoire of resources, experiences, stories, tools, ways of addressing reoccurring problems in a short, in short, a shared practice. What, what, what the theorists are saying is just connecting together around a cup of coffee, watching a movie, eating popcorn or, or having a beautiful barbecue, that doesn't make you a practitioner. What a real community of practice is people that share stories and tools and, and pursue resolving uh, some tensions in their way of becoming better practitioners. And this is exactly what we read about the early church. They were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They engage in various activities together, such as the fellowship, the meal of fellowship, such as the breaking of bread where they remember the Lord's suffering and remember that they too are broken before God and they too are, are willing to forgive forgo their old life and, and become the new bread, the new identity, the new way of being because we are a loaf of bread in Christ. And they learn to practice prayer together. And again, in another uh, verse, it says that they were praising God together, worshiping and praising. There were similar practices uh, that they engage in, learning, connecting, worshiping, engaging with outsiders, as it says, and they gain favor with, with different people, praying. All of those practices were ways that they were getting better at, at being Jesus-like people. So here you have it. Uh, the educational as well the scripture recommends for us that we would be the type of people that connect with like-minded believers who share a concern and a passion, in this case, to live like Jesus in the world. They don't just share that concern, they share a concern to do it better. And they learn how to do it better as they connect with each other, as they engage with each other, as they build authentic and sincere relationships with one another. And they get better as they interact with each other and share 
common practices that help them. Yeah, that's what you do and this is what I've done and it helped me in this particular way of dealing with God or particular way in dealing with other people or a way in reaching out to those who don't know Jesus. We share what we do together. The idea of being solos does not align well with God's conception of a community. So if you are fired up, which I believe you are, you're fired up about helping people grow to be Jesus-like disciples, I pray that you are now convinced that it is biblically sound and educationally sound that you would help people engage together in groups and they would do that in an effective way, in a sincere way, in a concerted effort to get better at living like Jesus in the world. I pray for you. I thank God for your commitment to the Great Commission and your devotion even to be with us and to uh, stimulate your mind about what you can do to be a better discipler. Thank you for your investment. Our prayer that God will blow your mind, will use you beyond your wildest dreams as you engage with His Spirit and allow Him to transform you as you connect with others and help them to be more like Jesus. Thank you so much for being with us. We're looking forward to being with you in another episode about this discipling community. Until then, be utterly blessed.